We prayed this week in our merger prayer about the, the difficulty of this merger process that we're in. What, what makes this process difficult is our love for what we've always known. Well, the church is to point us to Jesus, and we all know that, that he's the reason we gather, whether it's here or there. There's something about the way we do it there or here that, that we, really, we really don't want to change. I mean, there are some things that we want to change, but it's usually to go back to the older ways. I've heard all about how, how full our churches used to be and, and how we want to go back to being like that again. I, I've heard about how you, you like to worship, your style, as it were, how you remember when it used to be more liturgical. Your pastor preached from the pulpit in, in a robe. You haven't asked me to do that, but, but I hear you remembering how great it used to be and as how I ought to do it that way too, maybe. I've heard stories about the, all the ministry that, that used to be done and, and how we, we ought to go back to doing it that way. I, I've heard about how, how you missed being in the building here lately. And some even refuse to worship anywhere else. I, I get it. I love old memories too. And I, the sparkliness of new is fun, but, but there's just something about old stuff. The other night, Michelle and I were playing our guitars and she asked me, hey, what, what are you playing? And I told her, I cross my heart and promise to give you all I've got to make all your dreams come. It, old country George Strait song. <laughs> it, I cross my heart. Maybe you know it. I love classic country music, whether it's, it's George Strait or Garth Brooks or Alan Jackson or even older folks like Hank Williams or Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, Patsy Cline, Charlie Pride. But you know, I also like old bottles, milk jugs, medicine bottles. It's sort of fun to imagine what they were used for and how in the world they found their way out into the woods where you often find them. I also like you know, old tools, saws, hammers. It's pretty interesting to see how far we've come in, in terms of technology and design. That's the funny thing about the old, is that even that old music that we were playing was, was available because it was stored on my iPad. New can be exciting, sparkly, but it's the old that holds me, I'll be honest with you. There was a time when I wanted everything new, but that was because I didn't have anything, any life behind me. But there are some old things that frankly just aren't as good as new things. And I, and I might not like that, but I can't work on a new car, but I sure like the way it runs. I may not like being available all the time, because of a cell phone, but I sure love that you are. I may not like that I can't find anything to watch on 60 channels, but it sure beats having only three. I've, I found, and, and granted my time on this earth is somewhat limited, but, but for most things, the new is an improvement on the old. Technology has improved. The way things are made has improved. The way it's stored and preserved. And that means... In order to enjoy the benefits of the new, we have to clear out the old. In order for there to be room for the new, we have to make room for the new. We have to clear out the old. That's what we talked about last week, how Jesus clears out our old loves in order to make room for his love to grow in us. We referred to it as a spiritual detox, removing the, the spiritual impurity, sin, from our lives. When Jesus comes into our lives, we let go of the old way of living actually let it go 
of our old lives, the way of the world. Paul gave us a list of these sins of our eyes, our mouth, our heart. He said, when Jesus comes in, we take off our old way, our old nature, purge them from our way of living and be renewed as we become like our savior, putting on his nature, putting in or taking on a new way of life. I left, the, I left you last week with a challenge to invite someone into your life that, that as, just as you invited Jesus into your heart, that when you did, you repented of your sin, and in that moment you were forgiven. But many of us, we continue to struggle with our sin. And the key to finding healing, Scripture says, is to confess your sin to one another. That was the last thing I left you with last week, to tell someone your struggles, to invite them to pray with you, for you, to hold you accountable. Scripture promises that this will bring healing from sin and put us in a place where the character of Christ can begin to grow. That's where we're at today. Be, have, and do. Paul explains this spiritual growth process in this portion of the letter where he lays out an order for how things, how this new life, our being in Christ is to be experienced. Be, have, do. Today we're going to be talking about how we know these are in order and how we can fix it if, if, we, if they've gotten mixed up a bit. Getting them mixed up happens pretty easily. I mean, for example, when we, we talk about the Christian life, we tend to think, we go straight to the things that a person does or, or shouldn't be doing. They aren't necessarily the same things either. We qualify people based on behavior. We wouldn't say that everyone who comes to church is a Christian, would we? No. But it's not just faith that we do this. We use the same rationale when we think of a person who's successful. We think of what they do or the things they have. If you have a fancy house, a particular career, some bougie clothes, a certain kind of car, or go on particular vacations, or you have hobbies, we know what success looks like, don't we? Likewise, when we describe someone as, as poor or as a criminal or as a hustler, driving old hoopty, really anything, because we're quick to attribute a person's identity to the things that they have have done or are doing. But Jesus and the Gospels teach us that, that there's a new way of recognizing a Christian, and it doesn't begin with what they do or what they have, but instead it begins with their position, their identity. In verse 12, Paul sets, starts off right in today's passage. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Paul's talking to the church here. He says, people who have put their faith in Jesus, people who have said, Jesus is the Lord of my life, they were going to live for him. Paul says, remember who you are. God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Holy means set apart. Remember, Jesus is the chosen one, God's beloved, and we are in him. In the news lately, there's a lot about being said about uh, privilege. The conversation has been in the context of race these last few weeks, saying that pe because people are treated differently because of their race, they're privileged. It's being used to say that some folks have a positional advantage over others. I know this is a hot topic, so today I want to take us to take a, a shift to, because I realize that many in our nation and probably in our pews disagree on this, but but I want to move it to a spiritual conversation, one where I don't think any of us can disagree. But biblical privilege is a reality. We can trace it back to the book of Genesis, 
where God told Abraham in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, he said, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, Paul's claiming here in today's text a similar reality. Paul says, yes, Christians are privileged over others. As a Christian, you have a positional advantage over others. It's, it's the folks who by grace through faith are with Christ, hidden in God. There's a position of privilege. He says, be Yes, you are privileged. More than anyone else, you, because you are in Christ, you are holy and dearly loved. You may not feel like it, but that probably has more to do with what you have or don't have or, or what you've been doing or haven't been doing. At least that's the way we see it oftentimes. But the fact is who God says you are. When you become a Christian, holy and dearly loved. That's where you are. That's where we start. Not measuring ourselves or, or one another by what they have or what we do, but by accepting that when a person surrenders to Christ, when we accept Jesus as the Lord of our life, when we become a Christian, in that moment, you are holy and dearly loved. Not because of what you've done, but because of what God has done through Christ for you. And because of that, you are positionally privileged. You're given possessions that show your privilege, a uniform as it were. Now, now this privilege isn't about you, so, so don't get too prideful about it. In fact, Paul tells us in, in Colossians 3, uh, verses 12 through 15, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. And be thankful. I remember the first time I got a tailored suit. I was, it was quite a production to go downtown and get measured and go back and get measured again. And, and, and then you had to wait for them to make it or alter it or whatever. And by the time I got it, man, the call came to go pick it up. I couldn't wait to go see how I looked in it. I was so excited to wear it. it this suit was unquestionably mine until I gained too much weight for, them, for it to be altered anymore. That suit was my favorite up until then. I was proud of it because of because of who you have become in Christ, you have these things to put on. Actually, because of who you have become, you put these on. You gladly wear these. And, and pride doesn't even make the list of the things that Paul listed there. These are privileged possessions. You aren't privileged because you have them, even though they do make you different. But no, you are privileged to have them. Possessions of privilege you have things because you are. That's right. You wouldn't just be just like everyone else without these. So, so yes, they're special. But, but remember, what did you do to deserve them? Nothing. 
God's grace and forgiveness have set you on a path where you get to put on the character of Christ. It's part of our spiritual development to become like Christ. So notice something about these characteristics. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. What do you notice about these? Do you see it? They are all relational characteristics. Each one of these are empowered in our lives by the Holy Spirit, given to us so that we can live in healthy relationships with other people. Each one of these are realized with, with others. You see, when we claim our identity to be a Christian, but we fail to show compassionate love to one another, when we fail to be kind to another, when we fail to be gentle or to be patient with one another, when we refuse to forgive, the whole thing breaks down. When we claim to be a follower of Jesus, but refuse to put on his character, then who are we really following? Not Jesus, that's for sure. We're making a false claim. That's the sort of privilege that our world is used to. When, the, when we lord our identity over others, when, our authority, our holiness, right? Maybe you've, heard, you've known Christians who are considered holier than thou. You know, always pointing out the faults and mistakes of others. Refusing to extend grace to people who are struggling with sin. Look back at those characteristics of Christ we are to put on. Look at that. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. In our culture today, possessions of privilege are those things that our position get us access to that others don't have access to. And just to be clear, that is exactly what Paul is saying here. Because we are positionally privileged in Christ, we have the possessions of privilege, the character of Christ at work in us. We get to put it on, but that's not the end. Remember, Paul is trying to help people get their privilege in order here. So, so we don't stop here. There's a purpose for our identity and our possessions. Paul explains it in verses 16 and 17 where he says, Let the message about Christ in all its rich richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, through him, to God the Father. Did you hear that? Paul said, because of your identity, you're, you have access to things that others don't. And now he says, here's what you do with it. Share it with one another. Share it with one another. It's relational, remember? It's not made just for you. You are privileged for the benefit of others. It's the performance of privilege. You be, have, and do for the benefit of others as a representative of Jesus. The problem with the world's experience of privilege is that when we have an advantage, it's usually used for ourselves or our family. We, we hear about the good old boys club, right? Or cronyism or nepotism. You know, towns and governments are always accused of doing, of using their privilege like this. And, and frankly, so are churches. We, we, we serve ourselves, not our neighbor. That's why Paul reminds the church that the only real privilege you have 
has been given to you, designed for the use of others, for the benefit of others. He says, everything you do or say is done as a representative of Jesus. Now, if, if that's the case, if what we have, what we do, doesn't make us who we are, but you but are a result of who you are, what is your character and your actions? What do they say about you? Do you have your privilege in order? Is your biblical privilege in order? Is your life shaped by earthly privilege or do you live under the umbrella of biblical privilege? You remember the Abrahamic covenant, right? We, need, we read that earlier where God said that he would do this and he would do that and in order for his people to be blessed and be a blessing. So, so let me close by asking you three questions. First, what privilege do you have? Do you have the privilege of being in Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus as the Lord of your life, the, the one you decide to live for? That's where it starts. Second, what has God brought into your life as a result of your being in Him? I outline several that Paul says here are ours. He has lists in other places in Scripture that, are, that reveal Him as the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ at work in us, developing in us. Do you need to develop these characteristics? How are you going to do that? Do you need help? And third, how are you using your privilege? Are you using it to show the world, your coworkers, your neighbors, what Jesus is like? Is your privilege a blessing to others? That's why we have it. I pray it is. Would you join me as we close in prayer together? Lord, I thank you for the privilege that you give us to be your child. Lord, I thank you that you invite us into a relationship with you. You want to offer us everything. You want to give us your character, God. You want to bless us in such a way that we, we can't hold it all in, but, but we become a blessing to others, Lord. I thank you, Father, for, for setting us apart, for, for, for declaring that we are holy and dearly loved. And because of your love for us, Lord, we get to live a whole new life, a life that is beyond, beyond the ways of this world that are bound to selfishness for survival. God, we get to thrive in relationships with one another. Lord God, direct us to use our privilege for others, that we might be a blessing to everyone who comes in contact with us because we are your representatives here on earth. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for what you're doing here in our midst. Use us for your glory today and all days. We love you and we thank you. Amen. It, if you need to start, right? If, if today is a day where you want to start a relationship with the Lord, you want to begin to live into the privilege that God provides for those of his children, I invite you today. I invite you today to pray a prayer of surrender. Just a simple prayer. Lord, save me. Save me. I want to live for you. I want to be used for something significant in this life. Use me for your glory. Teach me to live. Teach me to live with your character on. God, teach me to be your representative here on earth. I praise you. Amen. So, would you join me in our benediction today? Life is much more than an accident. Wherever you go, believe God needs you there. Wherever you are, trust 
that God has put you there. He has a purpose for you being there. Christ, alive in you, wants to do something through you, no matter where you are. Believe this and go in His grace and His love and His power. Amen. God bless you.